Hello, and welcome to Living Proof, the teaching ministry of Joseph Castillo. We encourage you to listen to today's message over and over again, so that the Word of God will be in your spirit. Be a blessing, share it with your friends, and we pray that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We also invite you to visit us online at www.anifbeijing.com.
turmoil of Roe versus Wade and they're threatening the liberals are threatening to attack churches on Mother's Day we thank you Father God that this is the hour for the, the mama bears Father God this is the hour for the mothers as great industries like Disney and massive corporations are trying to push against family units, against children, against the lives of children, the innocency, the purity of children. This is the hour for mothers to rise up. Hallelujah. For mothers to rise up, even in that Deborah anointing, Father God, to be a voice in this country, in this season, to awaken righteousness, to put a foot down for purity, not only in their households, Father God, but in the very society they live and they work. Let the mothers of God, the godly mothers in Main Street America rise up in this hour for the voices of conservatism to be heard, Father God. The voices of family, Father God, values to be heard. Christian, Judeo principles to be heard through the mothers of this land, Father God. Even as, Father God, Women have been used by the enemy from the 20s and 30s to create this kind of liberal and uh, sexually perverse and openness in the name of women's rights. Let true godly women and mothers and Christian women bring balance and restoration back to America. Let their voices be heard, Father God. Even when the voices of men have been silenced in the mainstream, let the godly mothers arise up and speak to this nation in regards to morality, family values, stopping the grooming, stopping the abortion, to protecting the, 
lives of children, Father God, both young and unborn. Father, we thank you that you're turning the tide and you're using the women to do it. The mothers in the kingdom of God, in the house of God. In Jesus' name, prepare our hearts today to receive your word. We thank you, Father God, for the anointed upon me and these lips of clay to speak forth your word with accuracy, with excellency, and with boldness. Impart spirit and life, Father God, to everyone here today in this house. In Jesus' mighty name, the church of God say amen. 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 For I, the Lord God, am a God who inhabits the praises of my people. For I've heard the praises and the worship that you have offered up to me this day. And know that this day I've set ambushments against those that would come against you. Those who would have plans and evil thoughts against you. For I, the Lord God, have set an ambushment and I will not cause you to be harmed. For you are in the secret place when you worship me. And you are under the shadow of my wings. And I'll watch over you for your aim. The angels have charge. I've given the angels charge over you to accompany and to preserve you. And with long life, you'll be satisfied. Oh, continue to worship me as you have. Continue to seek me as you have. Continue to do as you have. And you'll see mighty, 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 mighty things take place before your very eyes. For the things that are happening in your United States and through the nations have not taken me by surprise. For I, the Lord God, will take care of that. For I am your high tower. I am your strength. I am your refuge. Come on to me. Come on to me. Come on to me, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 You have a Bibles today. We could open up here in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We touched on Revelation a bit. So I always do series, but I, the Lord spoke to me in these recent weeks, and He told me uh, as we're transitioning to Houston to start a, uh, All Nations Houston. And by the way, the church in Vancouver is, is uh, doing very well. Uh, they have they had a great start. The conference was very well. Uh, everything was great. Even though I couldn't cross the border, I was able to preach by, via Zoom. And so over the next few weeks, God told me to. Uh, not teach in series because we're in a transition time. And he said that it's important for me to share from his heart what he's doing here in this church and what the vision of this church is in the direction of this church. And so um, with that, we've been going in that direction the last few weeks. We went from a discipleship mode. We were doing discipling, uh, prophesying, laying out of hands, doing deliverance, so on. And We've gotten to vision cast in the last few weeks. And we looked at Revelations chapter 1. I'm going to go back there today, starting with verse 11. In Revelation 1, verse 11, we see Jesus saying, I am the Alpha, the first, and the last. And just, you know, if you ever talk to any Muslims or Jehovah Witnesses that believe that Jesus is not God, this verse you know, says Jesus is God. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega. If you, what I always do is you trick them, and you say, who's the Alpha and the Omega? They'll all say, God. God is. God is. And you say, great. Now look what Jesus says. And it says here, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And now watch closely verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand, say in his right hand. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Notice where he had these seven stars, which these seven candlesticks represent the seven churches, and the seven stars represent the, the, the seven uh, pastors. He calls them in the book of Revelation the angel, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. He calls the pastors angels. And so notice where he has these churches. First of all, notice where he has the pastors. They're in his right hand. That's very interesting. The imagery that John saw, that the churches were in his right hand. You know, we talk about being at the right hand of the Father, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, being seated with him. But here we see that the pastors of these churches are in the right hand of God. Can you imagine, or actually in the right hand of Jesus, can you imagine what a, a powerful place that is to be? In the right hand of God? Not just seated next to him, but in the right hand of Jesus. Now, if you do a Greek study of this word, in the right hand, you find that in the Greek it actually says, and my, my good friend, uh, theologian and professor from Moody Bible Institute, Chris Palmer, you guys were here when he was, some of you were here when he spoke. He brought this beautifully out in the Greek in his book by Whitaker House, how that, that in the Greek, in his right hand means, it actually says like in the tight grip, the firm grip of his right hand. So it's not like he loosely had his hand open and there were, you know, these seven stars floating around or these pastors kind of just there in his right hand and they could kind of fall out on accident, you know. But the Greek imagery, the Greek word actually meant to grasp tightly, meaning that God was holding these pastors very tightly. Jesus 
tightly had them, and it actually says in the Greek, in his firm grip. In his firm grip. Can you say with me, firm grip? It really paints a picture to me that if you think about these seven pastors, and you could imagine these seven pastors are much like seven pastors from 500 years ago, seven pastors from five years ago, seven pastors from today. If you look at the early church, they had every kind of thing that we have today in our churches. They had false prophets. They had false apostles, wannabe pastors. They had uh, adultery, fornication. They, they had witchcraft. The, the churches in the New Testament have all the same issues that our churches have. And the pastors in the New Testament had all the same issues that our pa- the Bible talks about 2,000 years ago. How some pastors were led astray going after the prosperity gospel. I mean, all the issues we have today are the same exact issues that these pastors had back then. Can you believe that? We think that somehow they were holier than us. Somehow they were greater than us. Somehow they didn't have to deal with the shallowness of the 20th century church. Actually, not true. Human nature is the same. And that's one of the great lessons I've learned living abroad for so many years is that I could blend right in China. I could blend right in Mongolia. I could blend right in with the Greeks. In every country of the world, men are the same. And if they're not saved, they smoke, drink, and they gamble. <laughs> every country in the world, you know. Every country in the world, you know, the, is the same issues. You know, women, every country of the world are the same. There might be some outward differences that you could notice. But the core traits that make humans humans are the same. So people have always, because my major is cross-cultural communications. I'm a missions major. I was a missions major. And after being in 24 countries, living in six countries, I really uh, began to understand human beings. Mm -hmm. And so I was very easily, could easily blend with anybody. I mean, I could meet Hindu and some of you who've been around with me, you know, I can meet Pakistani people and I'm best friends. Within the two hours, I'm invited to their house to eat. I mean, I really know how to get along with people from different countries because I realized their core, the core things that make them tick. It's their home dishes, their home, you know, their, their, their foods and their, you know, the different things that really make humans humans. These pastors have the same s- struggles that our pastors have. They had the same problems, the same scandals, the same issues. But Jesus gives us a picture here in the book of Revelation that he has these pastors in his firm grip. When I read and studied this, I thought about, you know, this is pastors all the way from people like, you know, Carl Lentz, who's had a recent scandal. Uh, Also... Brian Houston, Hillsong, recent scandal, just hit the, you know, they had made a whole movie about his scandal. But this comforts me that Jesus has Brian Houston firmly in his grip. Jesus has Carl Lentz firmly in his grip. Not only does he have those ones who've, 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 you know, hit a low, but he also has those who are doing well. 
He has the Bill Winstons and the Rod Parsleys and the Dr. Rodney Howard Browns and the, you know, he has them in his firm grip. So anyways, we can trust that that God has these pastors firmly in his grip. The Greek says holding them in his grasp is the word grasp, tightly in his grasp. And we can trust that this is also the same situation here at this church here and of Tulsa, that God has the pastor firmly in his grasp, which now I am the pastor here, you know, the apostle and the pastor. And, uh, you know, Paul planted church by church by church. He spent two years in the city and planted, would leave and start another church. And it's interesting because we're leaving on our second year too, you know. We thought we would be here when we came three years, but it's a little bit shorter than we assumed. But uh, we're leaving on our second year, like Paul. But there's going to be a new pastor to take over here sometime as we're praying and, and, and looking into this, you know. But God keeps these pastors firmly in his grip. No talking, guys. I should them. You need to split up? Oh, you split up. Good. Good. Because I'm recording, and I'm going to have to edit this out for the podcast. So don't interrupt me, please. All right? Amen. So God has the pastors firmly in his grip. Now, the other thing that we notice is where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? And, and if you look at verse 20, it says, The mystery of these seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So I just want to give you this verse in case you think I am made that up. Jesus said that these seven stars are the pastors. Amen. And the seven candlesticks... Which thou sawest are what? What are the seven candlesticks? Thank you. I want you to see that with your own eyes so you know I'm not just saying something that's unbiblical. So the stars firmly in his grip are the pastors. God has the pastors firmly in his grip. Throughout the ups, the downs, the changes in the churches through the leadership fights, through the false prophets, false apostles, false pastors, through uh, the, all the turmoils, Jesus had them all firmly in his grip. He's in control. Amen. Now, what about the churches? Here is another encouraging fact. What about the churches? Well, we see here that he was walking amongst the candlesticks so amongst the seven churches Jesus was walking amongst them another Greek study of what this means is it gives the picture that Jesus is very active he's very active it gives the picture of him walking to and fro quickly quickly going to and fro around left right zigzagging all over. So this is what it, it paints in the Greek. A picture of Jesus moving back, forth, left, to this church, that church, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. In other words, he's very active in all of the churches. Now, we have a problem in America, and especially in the, in the charismatic Pentecostal world, but it does exist in the other denominations, 
is that the center of the kingdom of God in our minds is our churches. You know, if you're a Ramaite, the center of the kingdom of God is Rama. If you're a Victoriaite, the center of the kingdom of God is victory. But you know, Jesus is working in the Catholic Church. Sorry to tell you, especially our ex-Latino brothers that are so anti-Catholic. Jesus is working in the Methodist Church. Jesus is working in the Episcopalian Church. He's working in the Presbyterian Church. Now, I know that a lot of our denominations have been hijacked, have been compromised, but so have a lot of our independent Pentecostal churches too. I mean, there's, there's independent Pentecostal churches with lesbian pastors. So we can't just point the fingers at the Presbyterians because it's within even our own circles. So there are a lot of churches that have been compromised, that have gone off the path, you know. But God is working still in the Presbyterian churches. He's working in the Methodist churches. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation with Pastor Songbei about the, the Koreans and the Africans, the, the, the ethnic people from other countries in the Methodist church are coming to America and they're putting up a big stink about the liberalism that's taking place in the Methodist church. Because the American Methodist Church is wanting to ordain gays, ordain lesbians, marry lesbians and gays. So they're going this direction very quickly. So what's happening is the African Methodists and the Korean Methodists and the Mexican Methodists are coming to these, these, these meetings. And I think it was like a week ago, all the Korean Methodists met like Globally, they met in Texas. They had a, a conference to discuss how to stop this trend in Methodism. You know, so God is moving. You know, so it's easy for us to demonize the entire denomination and just look at one post about what the Methodists are doing and demonize them. But God is moving still in the Methodist church. And he's moving through the Korean community, through the African Methodists. You know, matter of fact, African Methodists, a lot of them are quite charismatic. They speak in tongues, cast out devils, everything, you know. So God is moving in the churches. And there's not one church that has it all right. And there's not one church that is all saved. But there are some saved in every church, you know. In every church, there is a remnant of God. And in the charismatic churches, in our word of faith and charismatic churches... There's a lot of mess too, but there are the redeemed. There is the, the, the remnant in every single church. So we see Jesus is active in all of these churches. We picture these, you know, seven stars to be something like seven charismatic churches from Oklahoma, you know. But we understand if you study church history, there was a lot of different kind of churches. You know, you had uh, spiritual sons of Peter, spiritual sons of, of, of Thomas. There were all kinds of churches springing up. There was the Eastern Church, the Syrian Church, the, 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 then the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And, and so the church was quite divided early on in, 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 in Scripture. The church was quite divided. You know, there was a lot of conflict about who should be the Pope, who should lead. Should it be James, leader of the Jerusalem church? Should it be Peter? And there was a lot of division. And there were people claiming, well, we're from, you know, we're from the lineage of Peter. That's how the Catholic church started. We're from the lineage of Peter. Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. So they claim 
or this is this is like 1700 years ago like three you know 200 AD 150 AD they were claiming that Peter is the main apostle of all Christianity because Jesus said those words and we understand that that's not what Jesus meant I mean right we all agree theologically Jesus did not mean that Peter was going to be the Pope when he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, we all believe that rock is that Jesus is the Christ. And that upon that rock, God will build his church upon the revelation that Jesus is Messiah. But in the early church, this is not some new Catholic doctrine. This was in 120 AD, 150 AD. They thought that meant that Peter was supposed to be the apostle of all the churches. And then... When Paul got saved, and Paul started bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, that caused a, there was a fighting and controversy. The apostles couldn't get along. After Christ died, Peter fighting with Paul, and Paul fighting with Peter. These guys were contentious, had arguments, didn't talk for years. But Jesus was working in the midst of them all. He was moving amongst the camp. Isn't that amazing? How sometimes our flesh could get in the way. Sometimes our flesh could cause arguments and conflicts. But Jesus will still work through that church who looks down on this church. But Jesus is working still with that church who looks down on this church. Jesus is operating in the midst of them. And not only that, but the pastors who are maybe oftentimes looking down on each other. One guy preaches against shofars. Another guy blows a shofar every two minutes. You know... One guy, you know, preaches prosperity. The other guy demonizes prosperity. But Jesus is actually working in some way through all of these churches. Now, it's quite interesting. When we hear the definition of the word church, we think through our Western model. We think about churches as in these large congregations. 100 members, 50 members, 150 members. But you have to understand that the context of most of these churches in the Bible were small home groups. And small home groups were quite powerful. Matter of fact, how many have ever been to Israel? Okay, did you get a chance to go to Peter? Uh, did you go to um, Peter's mother-in-law's house, where you can see the excavations there, and they built like a church on top of it? You can look down the roof where they lowered the guy who was crippled. What city is that? Is that uh, uh, Capernaum? In Capernaum, yeah. If you see that house in Capernaum where Jesus had that revival, where there were so many people you, they couldn't get in. You guys heard that? Remember that story? Where there were so many people they couldn't get into Peter, mother-in-law's house. And that they had to lower a guy from the roof. They brought him in a stretcher. They had to lower him. Remember that story? Once you go there and you see that house, that house is literally the size of this living room. Yeah. <laughs> So that brings the story to another context. Yes, yes. We imagine in our mind there's this like big revival. He's in like the Elk Lodge, you know, and there's this big banquet hall and it's packed with 800 people. No, we're talking about it was packed because there were 20 people there. Yeah. Jesus preached in a small group context often. So here he's having a healing service in a room this big that could fit maybe 20, 30 people. And they can't get in the room anymore because it's packed with about 20, 30 people. So they had to come and rip the roof off and lower this man into the room. He gets healed and, and you know the rest of the story. But the context really was 
most times it was in houses, it was in small houses. So we see here in Philippians chapter 4 verse 22, how powerful a small house church can be. In Philippians 4.22, Paul says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Not Caesar's empire, of Caesar's household. You see, while Paul was there, it's said by the church historian Nicodemus that Paul had opportunity to share the gospel with Caesar's wife. And Caesar's wife was converted. And this is, this is not in the Bible, but this is in church history through, Nic through the writings of Nicodemus. Not Nicodemus, I'm sorry, Josephus. Josephus' writings. That Caesar's wife was converted and she became a born again. And so now there was a, a, a church which comprised, if you, if you do some study, was comprised of some clerks and some deputies and some like secretaries. So it was all people kind of like, you know, it reminds me when I used to work and minister in the embassies. In the embassies, I was ministering to like deputy attaches and, you know, all these kind of lower level government guys, but they're all in the sphere of government. So here, there was a small little house church in maybe one of the garden palace rooms of Caesar with Caesar's wife. Now, though the church was small, the power of that church was very great because it eventually brought a move of God into the nation that Caesar had a vision. And if you know history, you know that as this went on, about 300-ish or something like that, or 200-something A.D., the Caesar has a vision, and he sees the cross on a shield. And then he hears a word from God and says that through this cross, you will win the war. You will conquer, and you will, you will be protected. You will conquer, and so on, with this symbol of the cross. So the emperor of Rome converts to Christianity, and we have the explosion of Christianity worldwide. You know, worldwide Christianity is spread. And all of the seeds of that started from this house church that Paul planted while he was in a bad situation. You know, it wasn't like an American mission trip where you're staying at the Hilton, you know, the five-star Hilton, getting Starbucks every day. And you know what I mean? He was, he was in a very dire, oppressive, life-threatening situation, physically ill, and in the midst of that, he manages to get the gospel and, and, and impact. You see, the, the way that it took place was, Paul was, of when he came into the Roman prison, he was a very famous prisoner. Because he was the guy representing and preaching this, this very controversial figure, Jesus, who was crucified and buried, and now somehow is not there. Right? Somehow he's not there. So they're afraid that they're going to spread this rumor that he rose from the dead like he said he would. So they paid off people to say that actually uh, the guards felt were attacked and that the disciples came and stole his body. So this is very big political news in the kingdom of Rome. And so now 
here comes Paul stirring up trouble in the name of this guy, Jesus. He was a high-profile prisoner. It was like O.J. Simpson coming to your prison, you know. He was a high-profile prisoner. He was in a high-profile prison, a high-profile prisoner. So people in power wanted to meet this guy, see who he is, go talk to him, interrogate him. He's a very high-profile figure. So that profile got him, you know, they say that there's no such thing as bad press. Good press, bad press, there's no such thing as bad press. You know, what, some of the things that made Billy Graham uh, popular and it was, was like some of the, was, was press, you know. He had good press, but, but on the other side, people like R.W. Schambach would have great revivals because of bad press. Or Roberts got, he got shot at. Or Robert's ministry, he was just another tech guy like everybody else. But he got attacked or shot at or something like that. Was it shot at or stabbed? I forgot the whole story. But he got attacked and it hit, was on the news. And the next day, I think he was shot at. And the next day, the tents were filled. You know, so R.W. Schambach got A.A. Allen too. Uh, Jack Coe, too, got arrested. All these guys got arrested for doing healing services without a medical license. Well, after they got arrested... Their mug shots were in the newspapers, and then the next day their campaigns were full. So they say there's no bad press. There's no good. All press is good press. So technically, Paul was a bad guy, causing problems. He wouldn't shut up. It's politi- you know, causing problems in the country. But that brought him to a level of status that when he went to prison, he was able to get audience with important people, and convinced by the gospel, Caesar's wife was born again. And now she is part of this house church. I'm not sure who the leader was. If you understand people and culture, she might have kind of been the leader. Because, you know, uh, oftentimes a powerful, influential person has a hard time not taking over leadership, you know. So she might have been the leader of that house group. I'm not quite sure, you know. But her little house group had a Bible study. Or actually, we would call it in America a Bible study. But the scripture looks at it as a church. So when we see Jesus walking amongst these churches, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a picture of these big stadiums like we have. But these churches represented some small groups, some small homes, some small groups where there was a new work being done. When I was in Mongolia, I was in, we planted a church in a city called Cholibusan. There's only five pastors in the whole city. And each one of these pastors, they have like 10, 15 members. So you have an entire city, only five pastors, only five churches, each about 15 members. Do you think that God doesn't consider them to be churches because they don't have a big thousand seat stadium? These are very precious churches. And the, one of the, my hosts while I was there, my translator, he was the first Christian ever in that city. And he got saved because they played the Jesus film on television. Some Christian group got the Jesus film. I don't know if you guys heard of the Jesus film. I never watched it, but it's like a movie they made about Jesus Christ. And they really, YWAM, Youth with the Mission and Camp Crusade for Christ, they really took this video and they played it in a lot of villages and cities. And they focused on unreached nations like, like Mongolia. So they got on the television station. He watched it alone in his gur. The Mongolians live in this little bubble. It's like an igloo. It's called a gur. He watched it in his gur, was convicted by the Holy Spirit, saw Jesus Christ, fell on his, you know, in the movie, 
fell on his knees, cried, gave his life to Christ. He went outside of his girt, got on his knees, and he cried out to God and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God spoke to him and said, I've called you to be a pastor. And so he was like 17, 16 at this time. The only Christian in the whole city. Now the only pastor. He didn't go to a seminary or Bible college, didn't know anything about the Bible. All he, he just saw a movie and God made him a pastor. Sometimes we think you have to have all this experience and education to be a pastor. He just saw a movie and, God, and Jesus made him a pastor right there. And he gathered all the homeless kids up in his neighborhood and he began to take care of them and feed them at 17, 16 years old and teach them the Bible. And to this day, he has Anna home. Matter of fact, those of you who join our prayer meetings, you've met him. He's come on our Zoom calls. He's prayed with us. He has Anna home, a beautiful facility in Choi Busan. The, the whole country knows this guy. Everyone in the country knows him. And he pastors these young children to this day. He still pastors children. Really re sweet, humble man. Small church in a city with, with only five Christians. But he's a precious pastor that Jesus is holding firm in his hand. And Jesus is actively involved walking in those five churches there in the city of Chobasan, involved in those churches. And even though it's small, even though it's insignificant, it's the, it's a li it's the smallest glimmer of hope for the salvation of that city. And it's precious to Jesus. You know, we're here in a very churched city, a totally different context here in Tulsa. Many churches, many pastors. I believe in America, most pastors were never called to be pastors, personally. I believe that most pastors are ambitious, personally, and put themselves as pastors. But different context here, you know. But Jesus is just as active in a city with so many churches, so many pastors, as he would be with five pastors in a very small church context he's he's holding these leaders taking care of them in his right hand of his power tightly in his grasp and he's moving in the midst of them he's moving through them so here we have an understanding that though we are in a different context we're not a needle in the haystack like Choi Busa Mongolia we're like a, a drop of water in the ocean, you know. We're surrounded by churches and ministers and, and prophets, apostles and pastors and teachers and, you know, and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and Pentecostals and Charismatics and Word of Faith. You know, we're, we're, we're in a, 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 an area saturated. But each church is precious to Jesus Christ. And each pastor is precious to Jesus Christ. And this ministry... God has shown me is very important because I asked the Lord I said well Lord you know compared to the, the big auditoriums and the big churches the mega churches should we should we even you know what's the significance of this church you know maybe you know the church should just fold and and join this church or join that church or join guts or something you know and the Lord showed me this that he holds every pastor firmly in his hand and he is involved in every single church. He's walking amongst the lampstands. And so with this, God began to show me that this 
church is very important to him. So though I will not be here physically in the, in the you know, coming weeks, I, I mean, obviously, as the church develops and becomes stronger, I'll be able to come more and visit more, and we'll be doing things together, just like I am with Vancouver. We'll be flying up there every month. I'll be able to visit my family, be able to visit more often as the church gets stronger here to, to bring support, you know, to bring continuity, to bring support, to bring encouragement. Uh, this church is important to God, and God is active in this church. And that he is actively involved moving through this ministry, moving through the lives of the people in this ministry, and also moving through your lives to touch people. We have to remember that, it's, that this kingdom walk is not about us, but it's also about the people around us that God wants to reach. You know, I, I've, for several months, in the turn of this last year, I talked about reaching out, soul winning, soul winning, discipling. You know, it's very important for the Christian life, you know. And uh, I know it's not easy for a lot of people. For me, it's very natural. I was reminiscing recently about when I got saved about 17, 18. Before I was 20, I had over a thousand souls come to Christ. And we didn't do the method where I forced you to repeat after me this, this booklet, you know. I, you know, genuine salvations where people would have Muslim, Muslims with the golden crescent moon, gold $3,000 rings would get saved, baptized in the spirit, speak in tongues, take off the ring and throw it in the garbage. Drug addicts delivered to save, speaking in tongues. Prostitutes baptized in the Holy Ghost, saved. I led thousands of people to Christ before I was 20. Now it's been tens of thousands, you know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe hundreds. But thousands before I had a microphone, before I ever had a pulpit. We have to understand, especially in Tulsa, that ministry is not about being on stage, having a microphone and a title. It's about how many lives have you personally touched, you know. That is the core of ministry. How many lives have you personally touched? It's not about how much sermons you know, how many Bible verses you know, how many degrees you have, but how many lives have you personally touched? That is the heart of ministry. And one of the biggest problems we have in America is that we think ministry is recognition, stage, microphone, title, honor. That's not real ministry. That, that's part of ministry, but you don't have a ministry if you're not personally, if there's no trail of changed lives, if you don't have any trail of changed lives, and there's no people that can say, brother so-and-so led me to Christ, sister so-and-so led me to Christ, sister so-and-so discipled me, sister so-and-so taught me the word of God, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if they didn't teach me the, you know. If we don't have a trail like that, you don't really have a ministry, you know. So we really, uh, and, and I've said this different ways for many months, and, uh, you know, I don't really know how to communicate this besides keep saying it. You know, you have to personally be responsible for the salvation and for the transformation of people to say you have a ministry. You know, that is what real ministry is. And as believers... If you don't feel called the pastor, if you don't feel called to be a prophet, if you don't feel called to be an evangelist, that's fine. But as believers, you still have a responsibility. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, most Christians know by heart. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. But verse 18 is also in the Bible. And the next verse says that we've been reconciled to God. Therefore, we've been given a ministry of reconciling others to God. If you've been born again, that means you've been reconciled to God. You were apart from God and you've been reconciled to God. But then you've been given a ministry to reconcile other people to God. So we really, as Christians, if we don't have a trail of souls behind us, we really, and I'm not saying you have to be some, some radical on the street with a bullhorn. I'm not saying that because that's what a lot of times we think. But we have to connect with other human beings that don't know God and just be you. You know, you know soul winning is easy as just be you. That's the greatest gift you can to be a soul winner is just be you with an unbeliever. They don't have the cooties. You know, you, you, you can, you know, talk to unbelievers. You can establish relationships with them for the purpose of, of showing them light. Instead of trying to gather with our Christian friends, we should try and gather with, you know, some unbeliever that God will put in our path. Let's meet for coffee. Let's hang out. Let's go eat. Let's go, you know, and just be yourself. And the light that's in you, it trust me, just believe me. The light that is in you will draw them. Because when I get around unbelievers all the time, they say like, you know what? So, so that I feel happy when I'm with you. Or, you know, you really cheer me up. I don't know why. It, it's just the light that's inside of us as believers. I, I'm not some kind of weirdo that thinks like, oh, well, I'm, I'm so great. You know, I'm God's chosen best guy. And so they get saved around me. No, you guys can do that too. If you just establish relationships with unbelievers, spend some time with them, the light will, will touch their hearts. And then opportunities will come for them to be saved. My sister was a Jehovah Witness who backslid. And she hated me when I got saved because I was always preaching to her. But eventually, she started, because my, my sister was, I forgot what she had, some kind of, she was doing something where she, someone she knew was really troubled. And they couldn't, they had like a suicidal type thing. They're depressed and suicidal. And she said to me, Joey, now she hated me, hated my religion. She couldn't stand it. But at this point, she had a friend that was in trouble and needed help. She said, Joey, could you do that prayer thing for them? (laughs) It seemed to work for you. You know, my sister Sheila, you know Sheila. And I'm like, yeah. So we prayed for her friend and like they, they, they got out of depression and they started going back to school again and it worked. You know, so even though there was friction, like, oh, you're a religious person, stay away from me. Trust me, the light is shining. Mm -hmm. And people, when they get into a pickle, they're going to say, you know what? Let me talk to so-and-so, because they they seem to have a hotline. You know, people think, like, we have a hotline to God they don't have, you know. They have the hotline, too, right? But they think, like, somehow, like, God listens to you. I've always heard a sinner tell me, like, I know God listens to you, (laughs) And I would say, no, God will listen to you too if you pray, you know. But they think that you have a hotline to God. So if you make those relationships with people at work, people so on, if you're intentional about it, people will get saved. It'll happen, you know. But as Christians, we have to be, we have to remember that we're ministers and we, we have to be bearing some fruit. You don't have to, you know, go out 
on a Saturday, knocking on doors, whatever. For those of you that can, God bless you. But in your life, you have to be asking God to give you, just set up relationships where you can be a light and get people saved. You know, People will come to God through you. It'll, it will just happen automatically because you have a light inside of you. There's something different about us. There is than people in the world. We have a hope that is, is tangible that people don't have that are in the world. And without being a preaching to them, because if you're always preaching to people, it's going to turn them off. You don't have to be preaching to them. Just be yourself. And people will be attracted to that. Trust me. Like, me and my wife went to dinner with an unsaved couple who are Buddhist. And uh, they're Vietnamese. We went to lunch to dinner with them. And before they knew it, they were like, the wife was opening up and almost in tears to my wife. That lady didn't know why. I don't know if you knew why, but I knew why. Because we weren't preaching. We were just crack eating crab. We were just with our hammer. They took us for crab. We were with the hammer, cracking the crab legs. and We're just eating crab, but there's a bright light inside of us. And she was being ministered to without us preaching by that light. And she's like, can I have your phone number? And I need your advice about homeschooling. And, and then she was really opening up. It's not hard to get people saved. If you'll just, you know, be a light, make relationships with, with people in the world. Now, obviously, young ladies and young men, don't pick the most attractive person of the opposite sex to be a light to and go out to dinner with. That's not what I'm talking about, you know. <laughs> but, you know, just to be clear, and those, those of you listening to, just to be clear, but of the same sex, you know, like in that ballpark, a co-worker, you know, if it is of the opposite sex, you know, and maybe with a couple people at work in the lunchroom, not one-on-one, -on -one, like you're trying to date, you know what I mean? Yeah, just, just be careful about those boundaries. But if you make friends with sinners, you know, I met a couple, they're not saved at all. And they invited me and my wife out. And, I, and, I, you know, and we haven't gone with them yet, but I said, yeah, we'll come out with you guys. They want to go out somewhere, you know. We'll go out with them because they're not saved at all. But you know what? We'll just go out and be, be cool and be nice. And, and before you know it, the conversation will come up and they'll get saved. So I'm not afraid of sinners. Like, I'll hang out with sinners. You'll see me hanging out just like Jesus. You know, you'll, Jesus hung out with sinners. I'll, you'll see me with sinners, you know. But that's how we get people saved. It just happens automatically, you know. We don't have to box ourselves in to only hang out with those who, who are, you know, born again, tongue-talking, casting out devils, you know what I mean? Because then what happens is we stop to grow as a kingdom. We become introverted and we stop growing, you know. So we have to grow. Now, if you're just coming off of crack, just quit smoking weed, and your old buddies call you back to a pot party, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about if you're saved and you're mature like us in this church, we're all saved mature. You guys could really, really save a lot of souls just making a couple friends here and there, spending some time with some unbelievers, you know. And that's really what ministry is about, is saving souls. Amen. We had to stop the recording at that point, but you might be listening right now and you say, Pastor Joey, I wanted to pray that prayer. If I was there, I would have prayed with you. I'd like to pray right now, as a matter of fact. I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I would like to have God in my life, and I'd like to know Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and surrender my life to Him. 
you know, repentance means to turn away from your way of doing things and to turn to God's way. We've done things our own way. Like they used to say in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, when I did the 12 steps, they said, your best decisions and your best ways of thinking and your best ways to handle life have gotten you to this situation. And now it's time to trust a higher power. Well, there is no higher power than the God of all the earth. His name is Jehovah. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And through him, you can turn from your way of doing things to his way. And his way is the right way because he made you. And he made you for a purpose. And he knows exactly what you need to pull out your potential to forgive you of your sins, deliver you from the things that keep you away from God in a sin and death cycle. And if you'd open up your heart to him right now, together with me, God can begin a new work in your life. So just pray with me wherever you're at, whether you're driving your car, whether you're at home, uh, wherever you are, just, just pray with me and repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I believe that your son died for my sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. From this day forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. I'd like you to contact me. And we can send you some more resources and materials that can help you start this new life. Because this is the first day of the rest of your life. Email me at joe at nationsabroad.com or email the church at nfcontact at gmail.com. And we'd love to speak with you and just correspond with you and put you on the right path. Maybe help you find some local churches there online or something. Or maybe we know some pastors there that could follow up with you and help teach you the Word of God. Thank you for listening. And feel free to download the other podcasts and just feed on the Word of God.